in a lot of ways it's about you know revenge and it's about love loss and all of that i have a pretty strong thesis on the meaning of the story uh you know scream teaches us that there are rules to surviving a horror movie there are rules to surviving a sondheim uh, story <laughs> Welcome to Geek Sweat. I'm King Dom, and this is another one of our hot topics. This week, we are paying tribute to the giant of American musical theatre, Stephen Sondheim, who recently passed away, and we are doing so by reappraising the 2007 film Sweeney Todd, directed by Tim Burton. So, joining me, as always, are our regular guests, Jay. Hello, and thanks for having me. And we're also happy to be joined by our very special guest, Todd Hostetler. And Todd has a podcast which is called Spies Like Us. Thank you for joining us, Todd. Hey, I'm super happy to be here. And we're super happy to have you. And are there any episodes that you could direct us to as a newcomer? Do you have any favorite episodes? I would go with Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy or uh, Day of the Jackal. Those, those have been real uh, real successful hits for us. Okay, two classics right there. Yeah. So let's dive right in. We are talking about Sweeney Todd. We've all got some connection with this. I saw the 1993 London revival of Sweeney Todd, which featured the actors Alan Armstrong, Julia McKenzie, and Adrian Lester. And Jay, I believe you were involved in a production of Sweeney Todd. Oh, many moons ago. This is back in, it must have been 2008. Um, so I was part of a theatre group um, and we did shows at the Bridewell Theatre. So this was the London Stock Exchange Operatic Society. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, we did a production of Sweeney Todd and I was uh, fortunate to be involved backstage because at the time I wasn't, um, uh, I didn't have enough free time in my evenings to be involved in cast. So I did backstage for Sweeney Todd way back, many, many years ago. <laughs> Fantastic. Do you remember the musical? Has it made an impression? You know what? One of the big things about live theatre is that you always wonder how they're going to do certain things. And it's always, it always amazes me that even when you don't do a giant you know, production on West End, that you know, small theatres can still manage to 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 bring the show alive and to you know do scenes so well that you still leave wondering how did they do that it's always been quite interesting and I've always enjoyed musical theatre that's been one of my backgrounds for many years before I came to London so yeah Sweeney Todd has a special place in my heart so I want to I want to wholeheartedly agree with you about the small theatre thing I'm not lucky enough to have ever seen the show live, but in my research, you know, I was looking up the song uh, City on Fire, which is kind of very mitigated in this film. Uh, and and the video that came up was, it looked like like just a community college production of it. And it was, but it was amazing. It was fantastic just seeing these like, you know, 20 something year olds just, just selling the asylum scene. Mm-hmm. So um, let's talk about the movie. It's directed by Tim Burton, acclaimed director. Apparently, Sondheim considered it one of the best adaptations of his works. But um, Todd, there are actually quite a lot of changes that Burton made from the stage production, including even ditching the title song. 
So how did you feel about these changes? Were they generally positive? Did they enhance it for the medium of film? First, I did I did want to say that, uh, you know, as such a huge fan of the 1979 soundtrack, when I first tried to watch this film when it came out, I got 10 minutes in and turned it off. Uh, because to me, the singing just sounded so atrocious mm. and, I, and I really couldn't handle it. Um, on rewatching for this podcast, I'm so happy I did because all is forgiven. Um, it's amazing. You know, it's a three hour production that's cut down to two hours mm. and you actually really have to know the original material to find where that missing hour is. But I think the number one thing is that Depp, I think, is the weakest singer mm. here. And, and that's odd for him being the principal. He's a tenor in a role that is always given to a baritone or a bass. You know, Sweeney, like, traditionally has this just gravitas, this rumbly, bassy rage booming sound, underlying yeah. all this stuff. But I actually think that this this one can sit alongside the original because he's not a great singer, but the tenor quality changes the emotional intensity of the songs in an interesting way, I think. And the other thing I want to say is that Depp can act while he's singing. Like, he's not great. He's not super fun to listen to necessarily, but he is really fun to watch. Yeah, I'd second that. Like, even under the heavy makeup, you can always see the emotion in his eyes. So that's definitely something that I got. It's a more emotionally charged performance than I was expecting. Yeah, and I, I think that's one of the, the big differences between film and live theatre because with theatre, because you're on stage and you're having to project yourself, you, you rely a lot on big expressions. In film, it picks up the smallest motion, the smallest grimace, the smallest sound. Um, so everything is amplified without you needing to try. And I think that comes across in the singing because I, I didn't think Helena... Bonham Carter's singing was particularly strong either. In fact, I think she was weaker than Johnny Depp. But the beautiful thing with film is that because you're not having to belt out a song, because you're not having to project, it means you can internalise the emotion more. And so therefore you you show more in your facial expression without needing to do a lot. And so you pick up the very tiny, minute changes. Um, that that an actor does. My main point is is that you can get away with a lot more on a live stage because you are so far away from the audience. In film, everything is just so close up that you kind of need to be more expressive, but smaller, but with smaller expressions. If that makes sense. Sure. I'm a big one on strong voices, but for film, it works to have a light voice. That's that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think at the time there was a lot of debate about um, casting Johnny Depp, who's known as an actor. He's not known as a singer. And um, it was kind of a trend at the time in the 2000s, a growing trend to have musicals cast with actors as opposed to recognised singers. But you do realise that a lot of actors can actually sing. It's just that they may not have the practice because to build the muscles to sing on a stage production you really need to build your diaphragm you really need to build your your, your vocal talent whereas for film 
you sing at the back of your throat on the tip of the tongue, whereas in live theatre you're using your head voice. You're really mm -hmm. using the resonance in your head to, to really bring out the sound. Let's keep in mind that Tim and Johnny are joined at the hip. Oh, uh, yeah, exactly. You know? exactly. So, I mean, it's obvious that, you know, he, he used Johnny because he just likes using Johnny and then worked everything out after that. Yeah, and no complaints from mm. me. It's definitely the best Johnny Depp performance in a latter-day Tim Burton film, mm. I would say. But but also, you know, back in the old days, uh, for example, West Side Story, it wasn't uncommon to have actors' voices voiced over. Natalie Wood in West Side Story exactly. is, is yeah, not... Know, that, right? that is not her singing voice. That is not her singing. That is... Uh, I can't remember the, the vocalist who actually sung the songs, but... Was it, was it Marnie Nixon? Because it's Marnie Nixon who did everyone. I can't remember. But uh, it wasn't Natalie Wood who sung those songs. Um, it was completely dubbed over. And to actually have someone with the, you know, the, the selling power of Johnny Depp and um, not to dub him over, you know, yeah, it's, it speaks volumes. I don't think there's any way you could dub him over because he's singing with the voice of the character. He would take away his performance if you dubbed him. Like West Side Story, I think is such a weird example. You know, like it just seems unthinkable that you would try that, uh, you know, uh, these days in a movie. Like these days, our expectation is we want we want the person to sing. Yeah. Well, otherwise you get something like Les Mis, where you've got Hugh Jackman who does a very good job with the vocals, and then you've got um, our friend, uh, what's his name? Oh, not um, uh, Russell, Russell Crowe. Crow. Oh, poor <laughs> Russell old Russell Crowe. Crow. He always oh, gets the stick for Les But Mis. you know what? Javert is such a strong character. And for me, he ruined the character for Oh, me. no. I'm, I'm going to stick up for Russell Crowe. Russell like, bless Crow. him for trying. Bless him for trying, but, you know, sometimes when you bite off more than you can chew, you really should just say no. You know, he, this, the vocal talent was not there to carry the character. Um, I'm sorry. Watching watching Sweeney Todd has made me actually keenly interested on on checking out the, the Les Mis movie, which I had I had steered away from. But, you know, like my eyes, I feel like my eyes have been opened a bit on the the differences between you know, a, a, a pure musical and a movie adaptation to to how it can bring different things uh, mm. to it. Mm. Yeah, and we yeah. will come back to that later, Todd. I think um, talking about Les Mis, which we won't go into too much because we're here to talk about Sweeney Todd, that is like the... <laughs> and that's not Sondheim either. <laughs> that's not Sondheim either, so it's totally off topic, although it is the... Musical genre. Musical genre, it's the maybe the um, most typical example of this modern trend to have musicals with actors singing. And I think the director actually had the actors at some point singing without a backing track and without even a click track in some cases, which resulted in some very eccentric performances, you could say. So it's kind of a world away from the classic Hollywood musical. You know, who knows? Is that better? I don't know. Is that progress? It's where we are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's our... It's our new expectation as an audience, for sure. Let's face it, certain types of people like to see live theatre and certain people prefer just to see a good film. So when you kind of cross things over by turning a musical theatre production into a film, you're probably going to kind of 
reach out to a wider audience. And there is that possibility of people saying, look, I've seen the film, I quite enjoyed it, I want to see the live production mm. now and see how that compares. And so you can also, you know, get more people on board with, you know, the, the, the performing arts in that way. One of the big things with musical theatre is that there are, there's always some kind of song that sticks in your head. There's always some kind of musical moment that makes you feel, you know what, this is, this is, I can feel this. This, this is, this is fantastic. I want to go see it in in another art form, um, and so I think that does, you know, musical productions especially a favour to be brought out in the film genre. Absolutely. So let's get fully back to Sweeney Todd. Um, we've talked a little bit about the main cast: Helena Bonham Carter, Johnny Depp. Uh, Todd, did you feel the cast of actors was strong across the board? We've also got um, Alan Rickman in there as Judge Turpin and um, Sasha Baron Cohen as Adolfo Pirelli, two of the mm -hmm. other prominent cast members. How did you feel about those two? I was just happy to see Rickman, you know, another another Rickman joint. He doesn't really have to do a lot in this in this film. He, he pulls it off just fine. Uh, yeah, Cohen, Cohen was great. I... I mean, uh, Cohen can definitely sing. Yeah, it's a pretty uh, astonishing high note in one of his songs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. Oh, and you know what? You know who else I wanted to mention? Actually, I think, uh, actually, maybe possibly most improved between, you know, my version, which is the 79 version, and this film, is Lucy. And right. she's only she's only on screen for maybe... I feel like less than a minute total in the entire movie and she is mesmerizing in her in her close-ups like she she makes a lot out of very very short screen time she's quite haunting yeah yeah, yeah. you know city on fire is i think the biggest casualty of of the cuts uh that are made as as far as the songs you know because uh, you know, in the in the stage production, there's so much of the townspeople singing. Like you said, you know, we we cut out the ballad of Sweeney Todd and all the framing devices, and so City on Fire is really just kind of a pale shadow of of what it was uh, previously. But you know, so it's only her, as opposed to you know, she was just kind of like the soloist, I guess, in in a broader like chorus based song. Yeah. Um but uh for for what it's worth uh she she's she's great. Like you said haunting is the word. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. think for that role you you do need to be haunting considering the her her, you know, background in that story. Yeah. And 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 it, it takes a lot of effort I think to 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 do so much in so little time because often when you're in 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 character you're you're slowly thinking of the the character's progression and journey and normally you have you know at least a few scenes to build it but you know she had so little time that um it just had to be there and and i think she did that very well apparently uh tim burton actually filmed a version of the ballad of sweeney todd including christopher lee as um, one of the singers and this was cut from the final film also you know i liked uh if we're gonna talk cast i mean anthony and joanna I think are are both improvements. Now, one of that one of those factors is that casting Depp as Todd, he's much younger than what you would usually put Todd at. So 
Also, everyone else has to be aged down. You know, his daughter needs to be younger. That means Anthony needs to be younger, uh, et cetera. And that's also true. You know, I mean, that's part of where that, that hour that gets cut out is, is Anthony and Joanna get a lot less focus. In fact, note, we don't even get resolution on them. No, we don't, do we? We don't even get to find out if they if they get together and, and escape. You know, as soon as as soon as their their critical role in Todd's story is complete, they're just kind of shoved to the side. Yeah. I mean I th- I think it's inferred that they run away and elope, so <laughs> you <laughs> Yeah, you just I go kind with of it, got that you? impression. Yeah. <laughs> Here's an interesting thing. If we can put a spoiler in there. I guess um, if anyone hasn't seen it and they want to see the movie, don't listen for the next two minutes. But um, it's a weirdly downbeat ending to the film. It is, but the thing is, it's not their story. It's it's the story of Sweeney Todd and 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 um, you know Mrs. Lovett's love for him and what she did to basically contribute to him doing what he did. <laughs> Um, you know, in, in, in a lot of ways, it's about, you know, revenge and it's about love loss and all of that. I have a pretty strong thesis on, on the meaning of, of the story, uh, which I'd love, I'd love to share. Please do. Is, um, you know, I think that much like there are rules, uh, you know, Scream teaches us that there are rules to surviving a horror movie. Uh, there are rules to surviving a Sondheim a story <laughs> and and in the case of Sweeney Todd I think the rule is your love must be pure and uh unflawed and and not uh you know covered by any kind of gauze you have to you have to see your beloved clearly and I think every character that perishes in this film um well in in the stage production of course Toby Toby doesn't die, but in the stage production, he's driven mad. And that's, you know, kind of a punishment also for his uh, flawed love for Mrs. Lovett, which we don't get to, we don't spend a lot of time with in, in this one. But that's oh, my he, he idea. has the song still. He, like, nothing's <laughs> yeah. going to harm you. So right. it's hinted at. Yeah, that, 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 but, that kind of love affair there was a bit weird. Yeah, the only people that survive the story are uh Anthony and Joanna. Yeah. And they're the they're the two people whose love for each other is is I mean it's kind of simplistic, but it's also it's pure. Everyone else has got some kind of impure love. Sweeney's love for his dead wife is a problem. You know, Mrs. Lovett's love for Sweeney is a problem. Judge Turpin's love for Joanna and, you know, and Sweeney's wife Big problem. Anybody whose love is flawed needs to die. <laughs> is, is what I is what I think the, that's the message really plausible. of the story is. I, I I think with Sondheim though, it's kind of like that's that's his formula, isn't it? I mean, like flawed love, you know, unrequited love, all of that is is what makes the drama, and that's what drives the story. In Into the Woods. You know, he punishes characters for the tiniest of infractions <laughs> of, of of morality. I mean, that is the the fairy tale genre, isn't it? Yeah. Dramatic punishments for small yeah, infractions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's such a good fit for Sondheim. Sondheim writes lots of love songs for Sweeney Todd, but a lot of them are quite perverse love songs, 
like the one I mentioned, nothing's going to harm you. It's like a child who's in love with an adult woman who's sort of abusing him. Mm-hmm. And then there's right. Sweeney's love song for his knives, Dear Friends. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, when you think about um, it, it's actually quite weird and perverse. Oh, very much so. Very much so. I really think that the final version of Joanna, where you just have this pure montage of him just going through throat after throat after throat while singing about his love for his his dead wife and for his missing daughter is so affecting and that was one of the that's one of the songs too i thought was like really greatly enhanced by it being a film because one thing you can't do on a stage is a montage right you you just there's no way to reproduce that I do remember seeing this in the National Theatre production and um, the way they do it is um, the actor playing Sweeney Todd is singing and then he cuts the guy's throat without any warning. And, you know, he starts jerking around in the chair and then gets dropped through the hatch. Yeah. And the song just continues. So there is that kind of shock element because the audience doesn't even realise what's happening at first. But it's still not as effective as the montage. I mean, the montage is just insane. It's like the most shocking sequence in the film one of the most shocking sequences i guess with um along I, with spoiler I found Mrs. It enjoyably hard to watch yeah <laughs> yeah i'm because i remember when when i did this one back in 2008 when he was slicing all of those throats they actually rigged each um ensemble member who was being slaughtered with a um uh with a tube of blood and so when he actually sliced the throat, obviously he'd just nick, well, obviously not an, a real knife, but that tube would just spurt out. And the actor had a... Um, uh, a pump? Yeah, a pump on under his arm. So when his, his throat got sliced, it would squirt a line of blood across the throat. So it looked like he, his throat was cut, but also because it was um, a heavy liquid, it would also moved down and and looked like it was dripping as well so it was actually really effective and then to do one person after the other the actor who died would stand up and then walk across the stage as a a corpse and then just lie down on Mrs Lovett's I suppose you could say kitchen table or you know butchering table Um, and then Sweeney would be on to the next one already (laughs) and so you'd, you'd so for that montage of him killing everyone, it would be spotlight on him, spotlight on Mrs. Lovett. And every time someone died, he would move across the stage in darkness as a corpse. But because of the way the lighting was done, you wouldn't see him walk across the stage, but you would see him um, in the barber's chair and then get up. But you wouldn't see him walk. And then you'd see him on Mrs. Lovett's um, kitchen table. So it worked really well, but that's the way our our theatre company decided to do it. And it was quite effective, um, especially with all the blood gushing out as, as well. But it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Um, uh, thankfully, there wasn't a huge amount of clean-up afterwards because it all just soaked into clothing that was already yeah. relatively dark. So, um, And then, of course, by the following day, uh, that was all kind of, you know, cleaned up and and, and dried so ready to go for the next one um 
Yeah, but uh, yeah, you, you're right about film montages. Um, they are very difficult to do on stage. Um, they can be done, but it's in a very different way. And in a lot of ways, it's probably more creative as well because you, you do have a lot of problems to kind of manoeuvre around as well. And you've got a smaller space to work with and you've got things like lighting and sound and live audience to think about. So, yeah, different challenges um, and different ways of doing it. And certainly not to the same extent you can do it on film. And I know, Todd, you also mentioned that By the Sea, that song was one that you thought was more effective in the film. Mm. You know, I'm so, so glad you're bringing this there uh, because By the Sea is one of the weakest songs in the, in the original production, in my opinion. Uh, I wouldn't have been surprised, you know, if I was looking for things to cut as Tim Burton like that might have been one of my first ones to go but instead we get this you know he makes it into a pure music video <laughs> of what's going on in her mind yeah instead of just her singing to sweeney you know yeah. and it's it's really delightful i love the fact that toby is there in her mind you know which really underscores and and just sells this idea of her idyllic, uh, you know, I never had a family and now I have an opportunity to have a husband and a son and this this wonderful life. Uh, just, I, I think By the Sea, absolutely one of the most improved songs by virtue of uh, Tim Burton doing it in a cinematic way. Yeah, and it's a fun song as well, mm -hmm. um, the way they did it. Whereas in the stage version um, that I was involved in it was very much just a song and she was just singing to him about you know what their life could be um, but to have it visualized in film in that kind of montage um, brings a whole new life to it yeah def I, I totally agree with you and um, kudos to Johnny Depp for some brilliant deadpan expressions throughout <laughs> oh I know right <laughs> I'm not impressed yeah so I think we can't discuss a Tim Burton film without talking about the visual style. So, um, Jamie, were there any visual things that stood out for you? you? You know what? Tim Burton is known for gothic style, um, you know, very pale complexions and dark eye makeup. It goes along with kind of the, the style of the film. It works with this musical, yeah, is what I'm saying. Yeah, it has a very, very desaturated colour palette. Yes. Todd, you mentioned the blood. The film has a lot of blood, but there was quite a specific aesthetic choice with regards to the color of the blood. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not a cinematographer, you know, um, I, I know that they made the choice very consciously, uh, to make the blood orange. Uh, I think because they were concerned that red would look odd with the rest of the color palette. I don't know. I actually kind of, in my mind, I really actually want to see what this movie would look like with cherry fire engine red blood. Someone should uh, do that. You know. Like, put it on YouTube. You know, show us. Right. You know, and you know and I don't. I don't know if we have. You know, if, if it's a cinematography problem and maybe you know digital digitalization uh, was not up to the task at the time. But uh, I, I really, I don't know the. The blood and the quantity of it is so shocking and in your face. Mm. And I wonder, I don't know, how did, 
did, did the orange throw you guys off at all? You know, I, I didn't really notice it, but one of my biggest bugbears is the consistency of blood in, in film because what I find is that it's never quite thick enough, it's never quite red enough, it's the wrong shade of red. They never quite get it right, and it's like, you know, you can get blood from the butcher and you can use that you know, just as a reference. But f- for some reason in film, they always te- seem to get it wrong. I don't know if Trevor's told you anything about what I do, but I, I work in blood sciences. So I work with blood every day. <laughs> so <laughs> I can tell a mile away that, you know, if, if blood has been, you know, lying around for a long time, it's not that colour. You know, it's not that consistency. So often in film, I'm very critical of how they've, they've done their blood. Because then that shows how much actual research they've done into making that that part of the filming real. So how did you find the Sweeney blood? Well, because it was so grey, black and white and dull, I didn't actually notice that it was orange, to be honest. But so, what about the consistency? It squirts out from every angle. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was all wrong. But <laughs> yeah, there's only so much you can do. And the thing is... Because it's a musical, I, I can never take it seriously anyway. Whereas like for, you know, dramas and stuff like that where it's supposed to be real or real-ish, it, it gets to me. But with Sweeney Todd, th- this is a caricature, isn't it? In a lot of ways. It's so a heightened reality. Exactly. And so I'm not, I'm not too critical on that. But uh, it's interesting you mentioned the blood because I did not notice that it was orange. Let's also keep in mind that with that much mess that you're making you've got you've got a limited number of takes yeah. you know the reset has to be complete yes yeah who knows they may, maybe they did do it in one or two shots <laughs> yeah. well they had some good cleaners yeah and put some plastic down next one just put peel it off <laughs> or you know who knows they could have put it in digitally um you can do it these days now so who knows yeah, maybe a combination, like squibs and like digital augmentation. Mm. But unfortunately, time is against us, which is really sad, because I feel like we could be talking about this all day. I would like to thank Jamie one more time for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. Finally, about something that I'm passionate about. We can see. <laughs> blood. We'll have to do more bloody violent things. No, I'm not talking about blood. I'm not talking about blood. I'm talking about musicals in general. Oh, musicals. Okay. Oh, yeah. Well, we should do more musicals. You Why don't we you do know more musicals? Me? You clearly don't. <sighs> After all this time. If I had time. feelings, I'd be hurt right now. Oh, I'm sorry, Jay. And also, a massive thank you to Todd Hostetler from Spies Like Us podcast for joining us all the way from the USA. It's been an absolute pleasure. You know, this uh, this movie puts a big slam on London right out of the gate. <laughs> please, <laughs> full please of people not... who are full of shit. Yeah, thanks, <laughs> thanks, Stephen. <laughs> He's not wrong, though. <laughs> Fleet Street's not too far from here, either. Yeah, there, there aren't any barbers there anymore. There should be. <laughs> <laughs> so, Todd, we can't let you go without asking a little bit about your podcast. It's called Spies Like Us, so uh, what do you do on that? Well, we talk about all kinds of spy movies and spy television shows. Uh, We've covered about 50 so far. We just finished our second year. You know, some of our biggest crowd pleasers are the real hardcore Jean Le Carré kind of Tinker Tailor soldier spy kind of stuff. But we'll do anything. We'll go into Spy Kids and try to treat it like a serious movie, which is honestly very difficult. 
uh, we even we even did uh, the Flintstones movie, The Man Called Flintstone, uh, just just over the Christmas break. Will anything anything if it even purports to be a spy movie, uh, we'll we'll go ahead and give it the treatment. Well, Todd, thank you so much for joining us. I hope you'll be able to join us on a future episode one of these days. But it's been a real pleasure to talk to you. Hundred percent. Consider me a new subscriber. Oh well, fantastic. <laughs> We're up to two. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that bad, buddy. No, kidding. That, that was kidding. <laughs> Trevor is cringing in the background now. <laughs> I'm contractually obliged to say we've got more than two subscribers now. <laughs> but Todd, it's been an absolute pleasure, and everyone else, thank you for listening. We'll be back with more Geek Sweat really soon. Bye for now. Bye. Ciao. Thank you.